We are in our last of the seven churches. We've come to the the, run, the plane is coming in. It's landing. We've got a flyby of the other six churches, and we've seen that God has something for us. He's saying, "Listen up." And I, I know we've been around one another for a little bit now, and, and you've understand that I like to sometimes talk about TV commercials. One particular TV commercial, and perhaps you've seen it. It's it's very interesting. It's some of this. Uh, it's one of those cholesterol commercials. I don't know if you've seen this. There's one where a particularly athletic older man, he's at the pool with his shirt off, and he's in shape. I mean, there's not fat on his body at all. And he, he's uh, walking along the pool, and all these ladies are starting to dip their sunglasses to take a look at this guy. So he stops, and he knows that they're looking at him, and he smiles to himself, and he gets up to the diving board, and he runs, he gets ready to jump off the diving board, and hits the board and jumps, and belly flops. It's the funniest commercial, because, and the point of the commercial is this. You might look great on the outside, but inwardly, your cholesterol, your, 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 your danger, your, your risk for a heart attack. It, it, something's wrong with your body. And, and you can look great on the outside, and we all know that. We, we can look great on the outside, but inside, we can be wilting away. Now, this is a church that we're talking about today, the church at Laodicea, that is a church that looks great on the outside, but spiritually, their heart is dead. I mean, they have major problems. They need a major heart transplant, this church at Laodicea. Now, I know that if you've been in church for any duration of time, and you are familiar with the Word of God, you are familiar with a few passages or a few verses within this text. But today, I hope to show you something a little bit different, because I think the more that we go back into the world of Laodicea, we're going to see it, the text as they saw the text. And we're going to be drawn in and see the meanings that have uh, been, I, I believe, lost in large part to the church. But we're going to see that Christ is calling this church to get on the table and have a serious spiritual heart surgery. You, you need to have a God bypass, as it were. Because that's what, how serious this is. Because, again, they look great, they thought nothing was wrong, but the reality was they were lost. But before we get into that, let's stop and pray. Father, we come to your word once again. Lord, without the revelation of the word of God, we have nothing. Because through your word, we see your son. And Lord, we find how we are to be saved, how we might escape the wrath of God, and how we are to live godly, Christ-filled, and pleasing lives. Lord, you have spoken to us, and we delight in you. And we pray that you bless this time. Lord, I do pray that you might rivet this truth to our hearts that you might blow, blow a, a hole wide open to our souls to receive this truth. Lord, we are so filled with an icy exterior, but melted by your Son of Righteousness. We ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I would encourage you to stay with me as we go through this. We're going to be going through this piece by piece as we check out the church in Laodicea. Now, let's start off. We have... And to the angel, in verse 14, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, we've seen that this angel, they are the spiritual guardians over this church, and he's speaking to them. Now the author, the one who is speaking to them is Christ. And we know that Christ has not identified himself specifically by name each time, as we know him, but he's given characteristics, titles that he himself possesses, truths of who he is. So in this text, we see, he says, the words 
of the amen. Now, the word amen can have very, a few different meanings. So be it. That's why we say amen. So be it. Let it be. Or verily, verily. Or truly. Or assuredly so. And Christ is identifying himself as the so be it. He is the one. He is the author. He is the one that stamps it. He is the one that seals it. He is the author of it all from beginning to end. He is the amen. The first and the last. The alpha and the omega. He is everything. He says the amen. And he goes on. The faithful and true witness. A witness of what? The witness of what God had done. What God is doing. He is the faithful and true witness because he has seen the Father. The only one that has seen the Father face to face. And he is the true witness. And he cannot lie. He is the faithful and completely true witness. So he knows this church and he knows your life. He knows everything about your life. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows your sins. He knows the attitude of your heart. He knows the people that drive you nuts. He knows all of these things. He knows everything about you. And he is making a, a, a speaking truth into your life right now because he knows. I mean, we, we are, as people, if someone comes to us and starts speaking truth into our life, depending on who it is, we'll either say, get lost, or I don't want to hear it. And sometimes we'll hear it. But if someone that we don't know, we say, you don't know the whole situation. You don't know. You don't know. Well, he does know. He knows it authoritatively so. That's how well that he knows this. And he can speak this truth into our lives. So Christ says to this church in Laodicea, he says, I know your works. You are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. Would you, would that you were either cold or hot? Now, this is a, a verse that's been used in a lot of different ways. And I know that many of you who sat in church your whole life think that this is referring to zeal. And, and I, I hope to, to show you that's not the case. Now, this is why. Because why would Christ say, I would hope you were hot or cold? You're for me or completely against me? Now, I, I can understand it to a point because I, the people that are hot for Christ, I'm with. I understand. They understand what Christ has said. And the people that are completely cold... Uh, not apathetic. They're cold because they understand what Christ is calling them to and they're rejecting it. Now some people would say, hey, that's what we want you to do. Either you reject or you accept, but none of this apathy, this apathy business where you just don't care. That middle of the road we call the lukewarmness. But I hope to show you that there's a little bit more within this text. You see, Laodicea was a town that got their water from two different locations. Their hot water came from the hot springs in Hierapolis. I don't know if you've ever been around hot springs before. But there, these hot springs would be piped in about six miles away. And they had cold water being piped in from Colossae. Now, the, it's pretty amazing ingenuity that they have going on during this period of time. But by the time that the water got there, it was lukewarm. The, the cold water got lukewarm. The hot water got cooled off and got lukewarm. And it was barely potable. It could barely even be used. It was so disgusting. And that's what Christ is saying right here. I want you to be cold or hot, but as it is, you're useless. Completely useless to me. You're cold or hot, great. I could use you one way or the other, but you're completely useless to me as it is. So what's the point of this? And this is number one in your notes, and I would encourage you to follow along. Some people are audio learners, some people are visual learners. If you're a visual learner, stay with me. But he's saying, and this is what Jesus is saying to you now, Jesus wants to use you. But as it stands right now in this state, you're useless. You're useless. I mean, you're, the hot is gone, the cold is gone, you, you've lost the use of which you were designed for. 
Now notice, however, that even if they were ineffective, Christ says, I am about to. He goes, would you that you were either cold or hot? So, because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Very strong language here. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will. Notice that word, I will. It's not a done deal yet. There's room for repentance here. The tape hasn't been crossed. The, 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 the bar hasn't gone down. He's saying, I will do this. There's room for repentance here. Be useful for God. What are you doing? Are you, are you trying to be used of God to the, the best extent that you can be used? That's what I'm trying to do. Some of you ask, why are you going on for more education? Because I want to be used more. That's what it is. I want to be used more. Study to show myself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to be used for more until I'm worn out and there's nothing left. That's why. That's why. But we all need to be used. We all have a use. It doesn't matter. I mean, what your excuse is. It doesn't matter your excuse. There is no excuse. I mean, God took a teenage girl, made her the mother of Jesus. He took an old man in Abraham and his, his wife, who is 90. She's popping out babies, working in the nursery. I mean, what's your excuse? I'm too old? Uh, I, I mean, what, what is your excuse? I'm not, I'm not good looking enough? I'm not smart enough? Uh, if you paid attention to me very much, then you realize then that doesn't matter. God can use anybody. He can take a crooked stick and make a straight line. God can do that. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to have a great education. You need to know one thing and then die for that thing. And that is Christ. And know Him and He will take you and use you. He took D.L. Moody. He was a shoe salesman. I mean, he likes taking the, the down and out. He took a bald man and made him into a prophet named Elijah. If you're bald, what's, is that your excuse? You're bald? You got weak eyes? You could be the Apostle Paul. Maybe Jacob or Isaac. Man, you're hairy? Well, you could be Esau. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, God can use you. You're a bad dresser? John the Baptist. You're totally organic? Then you got John the Baptist again. Whatever the case may be, God can use you. There is no excuse that you have. None at all. He took tradesmen and used them to change the world. Carpenters, trade people. These people didn't go to four-year, eight-year universities. They didn't go on for that. God used them. The importance is, is to study to show yourself, to use the gift that you have and to develop it to the capacity that is needed. Whatever that may be. If God's given you a mind, you need to use that. And, and a fruitful mind that you can understand doctrine. If you, he's given you ability to talk to people, then you need to use that to talk to them, to cross the line. If he's he given you to help people out. I mean, I was looking at a church recently because we're trying to find a church uh, where we're going. And this one church has a whole Saturday of this men's group that works on single women in the church's cars for free. These guys are mechanics. That's what they're doing, using their gifts. What is your gift? Can you write cards? Can you write letters? Can you talk to people? Can you pick up the phone? What can you do? God wants you to be useful. He wants to use you for his kingdom. And he says, as it is, you're neither hot nor cold. You're not, used, you're not being used for anything. You're completely useless. And I will spit you, spew you out of my mouth. It's this tough language here that we're looking at. He wants to use you in whatever way. In whatever way that he has gifted you, there is no one that is useless. No one. Johnny Erickson Tana. 
There's a case example. I mean, the, the woman is completely paralyzed. And look at her, the ministry that she has. David Ring, he has cerebral palsy, and he is an evangelist. There is no excuse for you. None. Jesus wants to use you, and as, as it stands right now, you are completely useless. Now let's go on in our text. He says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, that's some pretty fierce language. Jesus, you want to tone it down a little bit? It's a bit intolerant, wouldn't you say? Now he's speaking to the city. Now we need to understand what he's saying here. Laodicea was a great city. I mean, you want to talk about, it, it's like a, a cosmopolitan city in that it's a great center of banking. It was probably one of the great financial capitals of the ancient world, like a London or a Tokyo or New York. But it's also a center of fashion. Yeah, they had fashion back then. I, I don't know what biblical vogue looked like, but they had something along that line. And there are people that were there at fashion. It's like a Milan because they had great textile industry and great fabrics and people came from miles around to see this. But they also had a great Mayo Clinic. So it's like Rochester, Minnesota. They had a great place there where you could get your eyes treated. And there was a great salve that could help your eyes and help you see better. I remember I was in uh, Israel. We were in Israel and we went to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is an interesting place to go. I mean, it's, it, it's actually a little resort area in Israel now. And when I was there, I'd never seen so many troublesome people, let's put it that way. Uh, they're taking mineral baths of their aches and pains of the salt content, and people be laying half naked in these mud baths, just trying to get the, the minerals, properties of their skin, and helping their different skin ailments and ointments and, and things like that. And people came from miles around to go there. And that's what's going on here, is people came from miles around to get their eyes fixed. Get them checked out. So we have, it's, it's got a Mayo Clinic. It's a financial center. It's got a great financial district there. And it's a center of fashion. This is a great city. But Christ is looking at them and he's saying, I mean, he is literally just hitting them right where they find their strengths. He's identifying them and right where the, it hurts. He's saying, for you say, I am rich. These people are rich. Center of banking. They're quite wealthy. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, you're really not wealthy, you're completely disgusting, blind, they can't see, and you are naked, you're not even clothed. Clothed with anything, you're completely naked before me. And he goes on, I counsel you. Christ is counseling you. How would you like to have Christ as, Christ as your guidance counselor? Christ is the great counselor. That's who we go to. He's ready to speak to us in time of need. And he's saying, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, pass through his, his uh, testing. It's the only kind that will last. So that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's hitting them right, right, in, the, right in the chin. I mean, he's, he's belting them. He's saying, this is where you find your strength. But the reality is, this is where you're weakest. Because you think you don't need anything. You've got it all good. I see a lot of this in the United States of America. In comparison, we are millionaires to the rest of the world. Multi-millionaires. Now, we may not be keeping up with Bill Gates, 
but on the, the west of the world, we are doing fabulously well. And I believe that this message can really be applied to the American church. Christ is saying, listen up. You don't realize that you're giving in to the culture around you. With all this blessing, you're delighting more in the gift than you are the giver. And these things aren't eternal. They don't last. It's what I, I call it, cultural carbon monoxide. It creeps in through the culture and it slows, slowly kills your soul. We have to keep our focus and understand. So what does Jesus want you to have with this? He wants you to have a proper diagnosis of your spiritual life. He's speaking truth. You think you got it, you really don't. You really don't. You think you're all that, you're really not. Listen up, you're not getting it. And you know, when people speak truth into our lives, we can respond a variety of ways. We can respond just the way that I said earlier. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Or we could say, how dare you say that? Or we could accept that truth into our lives. But more often, we don't listen when other people speak spiritual truth. We get offended. How dare they say that to me? Don't they know that I've been in church for 20 years, and I'm a regular giver, and I'm a tither, and I attend service all the time? Don't they know that? How dare they say that to me? How dare they say that to me? We get offended by it. But yet, it's amazing. We don't get offended when we're in the doctor's office, and we've been experiencing ailments, and the doctor says to us, uh, you know, you look in great spiritual shape, but I have to tell you that you have cancer. Well, you have cancer, and you need some radiation treatment, or you need chemotherapy, or we're going to do surgery. We're not offended then. We're like, wow, we caught it in time. Thank you so much. But why is it when people speak spiritual truth into our life, we reject it? It's the same kind of concept. Same truth is there. We're to speak truth into other people's lives because sometimes there's a spiritual cancer that's fostering within someone and they need the reality to wake up to their spiritual condition. We shouldn't be offended by that. We should take it and say, okay, what am I supposed to do now? God, what do you have for me to do now? To pay attention to it. Listen. And hear what they have to say. So Jesus wants you to have a proper diagnosis of your spiritual life. He's saying here, wretched. That means vile and sinful. Paul uses it in Romans 7.24 when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what Jesus is saying. Realize how sinful you are. Check the attitude of your heart. Check it. Don't compare it with everybody around you. Check it to my standard. What did I have for you to do and be? Check that. And then the word miserable. The word miserable means pitiful. The, the Laodiceans... Laodice, uh, the Laodiceans, thank you, the people of Laodicea, deserved pity, not praise. They were a sad, tragic mockery of the truth. And poor, this word that's used here is the most extreme word for poverty in the Greek language. The Laodiceans claimed to be rich and fashionable, but they were beggars. He's saying, you're a beggar. You think you're rich, you've got it all? You're a complete beggar. That's how I view you. You don't have me in you. Blind. They felt that they could see well and even had advances to help them see, but the reality were, was that they were spiritually blind and naked. Remember, this city was a city of fashion, but this group was naked spiritually. We see that there is only one garment that covers, and that is the garment of Christ's righteousness. Remember the parable of the man invited to the marriage banquet. Remember the story that Jesus told? And he came in, and he didn't have on the marriage apparel, the marriage garment. And Jesus said, cast him out, where well, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because he didn't come in the righteousness of Christ, but came in his own, which we know on the sight of God is filthy rags. 
We have to have the righteousness of Christ by putting our complete trust and faith in Him. This nakedness. He's saying, don't you realize you're naked? It's the, the story. Remember the story? The little children's story of the emperor and his new clothes? How some swindlers tricked him into that he, he had bought these beautiful clothes and he was reality naked? But the reality, the reality is, is many within the American church are walking around naked spiritually. And we're waiting for that child of faith to stand up and go, Hey, he's naked! He's naked! Buck naked, he's naked! Spiritually naked! And that would be a shame in front of everyone to see. I heard a pastor say the other day, The best thing that could ever happen to you is have your sin broadcast on the 7 o'clock news best thing in the world, because then you'd realize the reality of your condition, how bad it really is. And that's what Jesus is saying. Get the reality. Get the diagnosis. Your heart is faulty. You need to be revived. You need to be revived. He goes on. Let's look at our text. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I like that verse. Those whom I love, whom I love. If God is taking his surgeon's spiritual scalpel to your soul and it hurts, it's because he loves you. If your heart is cold and you're not hearing Jesus speak, I'd be very fearful. If you feel that, cut it's to know that he loves you and that's the third point that i want to bring out in our notes jesus rebukes you because he loves you he rebukes you because he loves you i mean we don't realize that we don't we why are you persecuting me why are you putting this monkey on my back no he wants you to he wants the best for you he doesn't want anything less he wants the very best for you he doesn't want you to accept any imitations he doesn't want you to do that. I remember when I was in Washington, D.C., I was a senior in high school, and I was uh, a farm kid, so I, I, being in D.C. was quite amazing to me. And I remember walking on the street, and what do you have for sale on the street? You can go to New York, you can find it in Chicago. What is it? Fake Rolex watches. Fake Rolex watches. Everybody wants one, but the reality is, it's an imitation. I mean, we have people buying them going, hey, the guy told me they were real got it for 25 bucks sweet and he's wearing the watch and then you know a day later oh it's junk it fell apart of course it's imitation god doesn't want you to have anything less than that he, i mean he wants you the best for you he doesn't want you to have the imitation he wants the authentic the best for you he rebukes you to get your attention so you go for the best that he has for you he's saying be earnest and repent turn back i've got something better for you than the imitation stuff. See, the world promises to fill our, our longings, our wants, and our desires, but it's the imitation. It's always the imitation. And then we try to get that, thinking that we can get it, it's, it's better, and I don't have all the, the things that come with following Christ, and we get this, but the reality is, it's, it's sand. It's, it doesn't fulfill. It's the imitation dries up in your mouth. I uh, had a good friend of ours here this past week, uh, Jennifer Lang, who's a student that I have. And 
uh, Jennifer, we were talking in the kitchen one night, and she said, I, I had this dare that I present to these boys, and they all do it no matter what. No matter what guy you do it to, they all try it. And I was like, well, I bet I can do it. And she said, take a whole thing of cinnamon and dump it on a tablespoon. Just fill it up and then stick it in your mouth and try to swallow it. And I went, well, I believe you, but I want to try it. <laughs> so I tried this. And uh, I, I, I just, I really believed what she said, that my mouth would stop. And I put it in my mouth, and everything, it just sucked up all the moisture in my mouth. And I, it just got hot all over, and I couldn't swallow no matter how hard I tried. Uh, and and the, the point of the matter is, is that I, I was trying to get it down, and, and I, I like cinnamon. I like cinnamon, but when I had it like that, it was this, just this imitation that dried up in my mouth. And that's what we do when we try to eat at the world's table. It just dries up in our mouth. And, and we don't listen to the heeds that it's going to do this. And we think, oh, I can do it. I can try it. It doesn't matter. I can do it. It won't affect me that way like everyone else did. And what happened? I did it and it looked like everybody else. The, point of the, the fact of the matter is, is we can't accept the imitation. We have to have the authentic. The authentic fruits and delights of Christ. Christ, though, wants to give us the reality. You're sick and you have cancer. Your heart is flawed. You need surgery. See, Christ has the scalpel in hand. He cuts, but not to cut and hurt, but in order to heal. He's the greatest surgeon, the greatest physician. Christ is desiring your healing. He's telling you the truth of your situation. You think you're being used, but the fact of the matter is you're not. You're not passionate. You're not boiling for Christ. He's saying, repent. Be earnest and repent. Turn back. Do your turn. And about face. I will do this, but it hasn't happened yet. There is an opportunity. A door is opened. Now let's look at our next verse. Verse 20. Probably the most famous of evangelistic verses and one that undoubtedly anyone that's been in church for any duration of time would be familiar with. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Now, we've used this as an evangelistic verse, and I believe it can be. But in the context, he's speaking to the church, remember. He's speaking to this church. And the fact of the matter is, is he's saying that I'm outside of the door of this church. I, I'm not in the church. The people have lost me. I sit at the door and I'm knocking. I'm, I'm saying here, I'm, I'm here for you. Let me back in to your heart. Let me back in. And I'll come in and I will dine with you and you with me. And we also know that we don't only dine with Christ, we dine on Christ. John chapter 6 says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And this understanding of eating with Christ is the table fellowship within the New Testament was of intimacy and that close acceptance and friendship and fellowship Christ wants to dine with you. I mean, imagine that. Christ wants to dine with you. I mean, imagine you're, you're a hero, whoever it was or is, someone that you respect greatly and you admire. It could be a politician, maybe, if there are, is one. It could be uh, a sports hero. It could be someone that has done great things in science or mathematics or a great pastor. And that person called you up and said, I'd like to dine with you tonight. What would you do? What would you do? Would you drop everything and say, I'm, I'm coming? When, when I was an undergraduate student at Moody, uh, it's a limited enrollment. 
and you only, you, if you apply and get accepted, you're put on a waiting list. There's a very long waiting list for students to get in because there's so many people who want to get in. Uh, and what happened is I was at orientation and uh, I had met all these different people and then this girl showed up the very last day of orientation, the day before school. And I said, well, I don't remember you going through orientation with us. She said, well, I just arrived. I said, really? I said, don't you have to go through orientation? She said, uh, yes, but I just got the call yesterday because the way I was the next in line on the waiting list and they called me and I had to take, this was my opportunity and I had to take it now. She lived in Utah, she got on the plane, boarded and she heard she wasn't moody. She had no idea if she was gonna be there or not until that, the day before. Now Christ is saying here, you drop everything and you eat with me. I wanna eat with you, I wanna fellowship with you. The one who knows your heart, the one who loves you more than anyone else, the one who wants to give you more than anyone else ever could, the one who wants to bless you, and have fellowship with you, and forgive you, and love you, and cleanse you, and use you for His glory, is, uh, is giving us the opportunity as a church. Saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Remember, the door handle's on the inside. I knock. Are you going to let me in? So, how can we conclude this? Here we go. The opportunity for transformation. This is heart health. Spiritual surgery is made available in Christ. He's saying to you and me now, repent, turn back, be useful. Invite him in. And do not exclude him from your life any longer. Bring him in. Say, God, use me. Here I am. Here I am. As Samuel said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. I'm ready to be used. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? Here am I. Not, I don't like that person. Don't be like Jonah. God said, I want you to speak to the Ninevites. He said, you know, I don't like them. Racially, we're not on the same plane. They are our national morbid enemy. God said, go speak to them. He goes, no. No. I'm getting on a boat. I'm taking a cruise. I'm going on vacation. Thanks, God. But no thank you. And God said, uh, sorry. And for the Nor New Englanders, nor'easter. Brings the nor'easter, boat's going on, Jonah figures out, hey, God's not letting me out of this. And God's not letting you out of it either. And throws him overboard, goes into the belly of a fish, vomits him up, and he goes and speaks. And even then, he speaks to the people, looking to see what happens, to see what God would do, sits down and watches if they're going to be destroyed. He wanted first row seats to see the annihilation of the Ninevites. First row, front row seats, and God causes this vine to go up over him and gives this great big shade. He's so grateful for the shade. He likes shade. It's hot out there, Middle East. And then the next day, the whole thing dies. And he is angry. And God says to Jonah, are you angry? Yeah, I'm angry enough to die. And God's like, over a shade? And there, there are 150,000 people there that don't know their right hand from their left hand. I mean, I, I was thinking, that's the children. I mean, that population had to be even bigger. And he's saying, you care more about your shade than you do about the souls of these people. You still get it. Do we get it? Do we understand? The opportunity for the transformation of your life is made available in Christ. He's going to give you a new heart. 
God is great about transplants. You don't have to wait on any waiting list for him. He will give you a new heart. Take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, new life in him. The opportunity is yours. Take it. Let's pray. Father, you have given us your son, who is the greatest physician. He performs such surgery on our lives, rebuking and disciplining us for our benefit. Lord, hoping that we depart from the things of this world and dine at the table of Christ. And, and salvation, Lord, is made available to all who accept him, come to him in repentance and faith. And Lord, we know that he, our Lord Jesus, was speaking to the church. You were speaking to the church, saying, repent, be useful for me. Be useful for me. Do what it is that I have you to do. And as it is, Lord, many who are not useful will show the indi true indication of their state before you. Lord, may we be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. May we be believers that are useful, eternally useful, in whatever way that you have gifted us to be and do. Lord, I pray that we might be used for your kingdom, that many people might be brought in. And if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't placed their faith and complete trust in you, Lord, I pray that they might do so. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. There's not even a guarantee of this afternoon. Lord, there's just this moment. I pray that they place their faith and trust in you. They might embrace you as Lord and Savior of their life. They might repent of their sins and believe. And you will transform them. Have them be born from above. You will make them into a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we get ready to celebrate your communion, Lord, we pray that we might celebrate together the unity that we have made through the, through the sacrifice of your Son on the cross. We pray your blessing on this communion. We pray your blessing as we worship together, as we close in these last several moments. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, we'll be singing hymn number 352, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus.